Right, if you, you have your Bible hopefully open in front of you, and that is Galatians chapter 1, and it's the second half that we're going to be, to be reading today. Uh, I, I was saying at the beginning I was really struggling with some of uh, the ways in which we could connect with this passage and to be able to make that real to you even as, as you're listening today. Uh, for instance, I mean, there are other passages here that uh, are a lot more uh, well, should I use the word interesting or dynamic? Uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul's writing things like, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I think I could make a really good sermon out of that. Or Galatians 5 verse 1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I imagine I could think of something really good to say about that. And as I turn to the passage in front of us, there are some exciting verses here. If you turn down to verse 21 from chapter 1, where Paul writes, and then I went down to Syria and Cilicia. And that really doesn't excite me to quite the, the same level. I'm wondering how, what this passage actually means to us. And yet, where I really want to get us to think is this passage today does end with a, an incredible conclusion. And just look at verse 24, where Paul has been reflecting upon how he has lived his life, the impact that it's had. And as he says in verse 24, thinking about other people, that they praise God because of me. Now, really, that is huge. Because in some ways, just those few verses, I think, get us to think some really big questions. The answers to some really big questions. Big questions like, what is the purpose of life? That's where I think this passage should be getting you to think about just now. What do you see life really being about. What is the big picture in all of this? Now, of course, we are living in, in what we might describe as uncertain days and all the, the COVID emergency, uh, and our routine has been disrupted. We're not as confident as we, we used to be about doing certain things. Lots of folks, individuals are, are anxious. We're anxious about employment. We're anxious about loved ones. We're, we're anxious about health. And, and all of these things, and you put them all into this great big mix that's put in, that there's sort of a, a gentle for some people, gentle, low-level depression, which is just perennial. It doesn't seem to lift. And for quite a number of people, it's a lot worse than that. It's a lot more intense. It's a lot deeper. So as I'm thinking about what the real purpose of life is about, I want you to really, I mean, this is what I want you to really just drill down into and to really think about now. So whatever it is that you do nine to five during the course of the day, whether you're, you're at school, whether you're at university, whether you're working, whether you're at home, whatever it is that you're doing, I want you to think because this passage right now can give a sense of purpose to what it is that you are actually doing in the course of your week. I mean, the question which might come, do you want to know a sense of purpose in life? Is there something more than sort of the, the nine to five 
ritual that, that you go through. And I hope that as we read this passage, I'm going to encourage you to find that purpose in God. And as you know that your purpose in life is found in God, that you will find then that your life amounts to something that is bigger. It's uh, bigger than you. It's, it's huge and it goes way beyond in terms of impact into the lives of, of other people. And I know that that's a, a huge claim that I've just made. And uh, Paul, what he actually does in this passage is that he puts forward a couple of reasons why you can actually believe this gospel. Why it is trustworthy. Why it's significant. And they, there's, in those two reasons, there's one is like a hard objective reason and one is like a soft subjective reason. And the hard objective reason, he's just saying something that this gospel of Jesus Christ as declared in the Bible, as written there, as what we find it, it's, it's really unlike anything else that you're ever going to encounter. And then his second sort of softer, subjective reason is he says, well, the thing about this gospel is that it changed me. And if you need proof that it really works, then look at me. So let's look at what he's actually saying. There's reasons to believe. Number one, the hard objective reason, this gospel is not like anything else you'll have read about or heard about. Look at the way he describes it in, in verse 11, where he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. This is not man-made. That's what he's really saying. So he's saying, you know, I, I didn't read about this. I didn't get it from, from anybody else. I didn't go to the supermarket to buy it. I didn't see it advertised on TV. I didn't buy it or get it online. Verse 12, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And what we know about this gospel is that it really, and what Paul has been saying, is that it is unlike anything else that you will ever find made up by men. Because a man-made gospel, I mean, a man-made gospel goes something like this. And we would perfectly understand this because the way we humans think is that uh, your reward is directly proportional to your effort. So a man-made human gospel would go something like this. You lot are a rotten, horrible bunch of sinners. So wise up, pull yourself together, do what you're supposed to do, and that is what you're supposed to do. Now, that would be a man-made gospel. It's simply try harder, do better. A man-made gospel is saying that you've got to earn this, you've got to deserve this, because there is no human way of believing or understanding that a God in heaven who is perfectly good, there is no reason for believing that he will do anything good for you unless you are good, unless you really deserve that but that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel, as we know it, is that God says, actually, I am going to bless you. And I am going to bless you even though you do not deserve this in any shape or form. And it's simply because I love you and out of the goodness of my heart, I'm going to do this in Jesus. And that's why this gospel is so radically different 
from anything else that you're going to hear or read about as we find it in Jesus. And Paul says, that's why it had an impact on me. And actually, another reason that you can believe, and it goes then to this subjective, personal reason, he says, look at the impact it had on me. You can believe this gospel because it really did change me. And he gives a couple of reasons as to how he was changed. First of all, he says, I was a Jew and I was a strict Jew. Verse 14, I was a Pharisee. This was really important to me. And I really was fixated on this, but I'm changed because of that. I'm going back to verse 13. He says, I hated the gospel. I hated the church so much that I wanted to persecute the church and I wanted to destroy the church. And Paul says, but I'm changed because this gospel is true. So putting all of that together, what Paul is saying is that when you see people and they are so radically changed and they were the last people in the world that you ever thought would be changed and everybody can see that they've been changed, then you know that this gospel is something different. And so just thinking about that, you might be able to think of one individual whose life had a huge impact on you. Just because of their, their lifestyle, because it pointed to Jesus, as we read here in verse 24, and, they, and you praise God because of that other individual. But the other side of that, of course, is that you, you can have an impact on the lives of other people and that other people will praise God because of you and what you are doing. And this gospel, what we see in, the, in this gospel of Jesus Christ is that it is a power that is able to change people. That's the title of the sermon I had this morning. Here is a man who has been changed by a message from God. Paul also writes in Romans 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And when we, when we read that, I mean, the gospel doesn't simply come with a power, but what Paul says is that the gospel itself is the power. It is the power of the truth of the word of God itself that actually changes people. And what I'm saying is that you, you here today, you who are listening, can be really changed by this in such a way that other people will praise God because of what is going on in your life. And so as we think about that, I'm simply going to ask you today, I mean, have you experienced this gospel? Have you experienced this gospel in such a way that you know it's real, you know it's true, and that has turned your life upside down because you've suddenly caught a glimpse of what Jesus Christ has done and that other people are able to say, wow, look at that man, look at that woman. I can see that they've changed. And the reason that they've changed is because they've understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the impact and that's the power of the word of God. And as I was saying is that looking at Paul, is that here is a life that has been changed because he received a message from God. You know, people so often talk, we hear it in common language, that someone found God. 
But isn't it rather the situation that it's not really we who find God, but that God finds us? In that Jesus steps into our lives, Jesus saves us, and we're changed. And I, I have to admit, I, I'm a hardened Calvinist, and I believe very strongly, of course, that, that God steps into our lives of his, of his own free action. But you know, you don't need to be a hardened Calvinist like me to believe that, because that's the way that all of us just talk about God entering into our lives and he speaks to us and he catches hold of us. This, is the, this weekend I gather is the 70th anniversary of the writing of The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe and C.S. Lewis, who, who wrote that, uh, would never have described himself as a Calvinist. But I'm going to read to you the most famous quotation, I guess, from his other writings, where he describes his conversion. And he writes it like this. And he says, you must picture me alone. In my room in Maudlin, night after night, feeling. Whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. And that which I greatly feared had at last come upon me in the Trinity term of 1929. I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. He was reluctant, yes, but for him it was irresistible. And as I return to how this passage actually ends... I'm reminding you of something here, that your life, your life can impact other people for Jesus Christ because God is purposefully working in your life to make you the man or woman he intends you to be so that your life will impact other people for God. So as we read verse 24, it's writing about you and they praise God because of you. And as you go back to verses 15 to 16, it's there that we in some way see the unpacking of that because we see what God has been doing in Paul's life. And of course, we understand that he does the same in all of us. Verse 15, if you read with me, he says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You know, the significant little phrase in there is that God set me apart from my mother's womb, which gives this idea that God has been working in your life and that God has planned what he's going to do and that he is working in his life to make you the man or woman he intends you to be. So what that means in practice is that every knock in life, every setback, every occasion of joy and sorrow, all the good, all the bad, everything that has happened to you in your life has happened so that God can make you into the person that he wants you to be the person that he has called you to be as you have been set apart to do this very thing. 
Now, I know that maybe you're looking at me now and wondering, that's a huge thing. And I don't always see it. But you know, it's not until sometimes we get a little bit older and we put on those gospel glasses and we look back over our lives and we see everything and we can see God's grace and we can see that he was there all the time. Even those moments when we thought he wasn't there. He was there and he was doing something. So it's not that God is simply there in a vague sort of a way, hovering around, but God is actively working in your life today, right now, making you the person that you can be under God. And to be given an example of that from the Bible, I want you to think about Joseph. You'll know the story of Joseph, how Joseph in the Old Testament ends up the, the second most powerful man in, in Egypt despite the, the, the miseries that he's gone through and the tragedies in, in his life. And as he looks at his brothers at the end of that story and he recognizes what they did against him, he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. But actually, as you think about that story, how did Joseph end up in slavery? Well, it's because he kept having those dreams, wasn't it? Remember those dreams he said to his brothers? You guys, I'm getting all these dreams. And uh, it's like this. I've got this great big sheaf of, of wheat. And you guys are all, well, you've all got your sheaves of wheat as well. But yours are all bowing down to mine. What's that mean? What could this possibly mean? Like, Joseph wasn't asking that question of his brothers because he didn't know or because he was wanting information. What he was trying to do was rub their noses in the dirt because he was reminding them, actually, I am the favored son. That's what all this is about. I know rightly what these dreams are about, but I just want to annoy you. And so towards the end of the account at the home place, it says one day that they were out near Dothan, the town of Dothan. They said to themselves or the brothers, here's the dreamer coming. And they threw him into a pit. And Joseph's in the pit. And the account goes on to say that Joseph was praying to God in the pit, help me, save me. But you know, nothing happened and he was taken off into slavery. It was actually C.H. Spurgeon who preached on this passage or the, um, the story of Joseph. And he was saying that much later on, several generations later, there was another event near the town of Dothan. This time it was Elisha. And Elisha's there and he's surrounded by his enemies and his servant is terrified. He doesn't know what he's going to do. And so Elisha just calmly prays. And the account says the eyes of a servant, the servant was opened and the servant was able to see the chariots of God, the chariots of fire surrounding them. And then there was a miracle after that as God then intervened and the, the eyes of the enemy were blinded and that Elisha and his servant were delivered. So in those two stories in the same town, in one situation, 
One guy prays and nothing seems to happen and the other guy prays and immediately there is a deliverance. But as Joseph writes about that, he says, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And what Joseph is saying is that whether or not we can see it, God is still purposefully working in our lives, doing something in an incredible way, whether that takes a long time coming or a short while coming. And that's what we need to see as well. So think about your life today. And you may not feel incredibly significant. You may wonder, actually, what God could possibly do in your life, how he could use you. Well, I want you to look at what it says in this text about how Paul had been set apart for a purpose. And that's exactly the same for you. So that you then can look at your life and you begin to see in the way that Joseph saw, in the way that Paul saw here, that every single, every situation in life, that you are then able to do certain things. You are able to serve people in certain ways. You are able to do great things for God because God has been honing you and tempering you and preparing you to do what he actually wants you to do. And that means that it's everything that's happened in your life, the good and the bad, the sensible and the stupid things that you have done. God can amazingly put all of these things together and do something incredible so that you can be something, someone who is useful, someone whose life is sharp and whose life is beautiful, someone who can be great in God's hand. And actually, I want you to know that no matter what you do, and no matter how hard you try, you will never be able to do anything other than forward the purposes of God. No matter how hard you try, you will never be able to do anything other than forward the purposes of God. Now that might seem like a bit of a threat or the most amazing thing that you have ever heard because God can do something and God is doing something in your life. And the question for you is simply which way do you look at it? Let's pray. Lord, still our hearts. Remind us who we are in Christ. That you're working in us. You're making us something significant in your time and in your ways. And as you do that in us as individuals, you do that in us as a church. Lord, fit us for the days in which we live to live boldly and sensibly for Christ. 
Amen.